Isles Bards. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege of gathering together as a family on a Thursday evening that you've ordained since or from eternity past, Father. What a privilege it is. May we never become familiar with it. Rather, we love it, embrace it, enjoy it as a wonderful form of grace and an expression of your love. Father, we're so grateful for your patience with us as we continue to learn, as we continue to fall down but get back up by means of your grace, Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for keeping us in your warm embrace. Thank you for never giving up on us or forsaking us. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this a reality for all of us. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the deceitfulness of sin, uh, part 36. There have been very strong reminders coming from this ministry as of late. Obviously, the emphasis has been on the deceitfulness, with emphasis on the word deceitfulness, the deceitfulness of sin, but as of late we have been laser focused on the various external influences associated with sin's pervasiveness in and through others in this world. Again, laser focused on the external influences associated with sin's pervasiveness. So not only are we the only ones that can be deceived, but our neighbors are deceived. And so it just complicates things uh, for us all. There's just more and more temptation, sort of a snowball effect uh, in view. In particular, probably because of the idolatrous culture uh, we have in America, we have been considering those held in high esteem. Those held in high esteem. So I was thinking about that. I invite you to do the same, of course. Instead of pointing fingers at folks outside of our family, let's look in the mirror as a group. Let's be fair. I mean, there's a couch back there. There's a lot of conversation that happens before service, after service, etc. How many times have you heard someone in this congregation speaking highly of someone else, someone who could care less about Jesus? And you've never stepped back and asked why. For example, how many times has someone wealthy come up in conversation just because they are wealthy? How many times have we all been like, whoa, did you see the house they live in? Or the fancy car that they drive? Aren't you impressed too? Why do you guys all look innocent? I know that's, I know those are conversations that happen because it's a very thin door back there. And then lo and behold, our fleshes, it's gross. We want to establish some, you know, connection to these people. Like, oh yeah, 
He and I are buddies. I've known that guy for years. <laughs> and we become like parasitic. Leeching off of the worldly esteem of others. Strange phenomenon, isn't it? People do it with professional sports teams as well, of course. That, that's one that we often pick on. You know, like, oh, you know, and I'm just picking on the Patriots, so don't get all wild on me. The Patriots, they're, you know, they're my team. It's, it's, it's my, you know, they're my team. And, you know, I, frankly, I'm a little more awesome because of it. <laughs> you know? I'm like world champ. I'm part of like the world champion team over here. Because I associate, I cling to my professional sports team. Oh, you know, and they say, you know, stuff like, oh, did I ever tell you about the time I met Tom Brady and, and Robert Kraft while out to dinner? Yeah, you know, Tommy was driving a sick Maserati and Bobby a Bentley. Because, you know, you, you're chummy with him, right? Or you want to be because you're a parasite. Again, the question we have to ask ourselves is why? Why in the hell would we ever do that thing? And everybody in here has done it, so don't act stupid. Everybody in here has tried to like leech off of somebody else, talking big about this guy, doctor so-and-so, or lawyer so-and-so, or the big businessman over here that your buddy's with, or the, the guy down the street, or your neighbor who lives in a you know, 8,000 square foot house and has 17 car garage, and you know, you're friends with them, so somehow there's like some street credibility that goes along with that. Why do we celebrate the very same people who antagonize Christianity, often openly? Why would we ever celebrate those people? Why would we ever bring their name up here in the church and ask others to celebrate along with us? Why in the world would we do this to each other? I don't need that in my soul. I don't need that kind of temptation. Why do we do it to each other? Why do we like to tell stories, grand stories about rich people? I don't need that in my soul. Here's a quick reminder from Holy Scripture. Go to James 2, verse 1. James, why do we do that to each other? That's the question. James 2, verse 1. Just a little reminder from Holy Scripture. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. How many people, let's be honest, and you don't have to tell it to me, but be honest. If you had, um, oh, I don't know, a billionaire come to your house, are you going to tell him to sit on the floor? Or are you going to tell your poor uncle to sit on the floor? Or your, your friend that's, you know, kind of broke and down and out, 
you're probably going to say, hey, hey, Scudgy, you sit on the floor. No, rich man, you sit over here at the place of honor. I don't care if you don't, you don't care less about Jesus Christ and the guy on the floor loves Jesus Christ. It's unthinkable that we put people high in society anywhere but a place of honor at our own table. It's unthinkable. Why? Why is that unthinkable? It's true, right? Fair enough. You guys are like, nope, not me. Nope. Verse 4. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Have you not done that thing? Become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. You have dishonored the poor man. Is it fair to say in a passive way you dishonor the poor man every time you talk about a rich man back on the couch over there? Is it fair to say? I think so. Passive-aggressive, maybe. But nonetheless, true. Why don't we talk about the poor spiritual giant? Why do we spend all our time talking about our so-called heroes in this world, most of which, is to my tally, could care less about Jesus Christ? Why do we not talk about the poor with the same reverence as the Tom Brady's of the world? Seriously, it's a fair question. Look at what the verse continues in verse 6. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? <laughs> Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? Whew. Here's the danger. If you esteem someone this way, based on worldly standards, how much easier is it to grant them not only a place of honor at your dining room table, but a place at the altar of your soul. Is it really that far of a distance away? If you esteem someone highly that way, it's pretty easy just to translate that into an entree. Don't believe me? Why in the world would you ever, and we've all done it, why do you ever listen to anybody famous, their opinion on anything? They do one thing really well. Maybe they can sing or act. And you can't, you can't say they're not good actors or singers. But what the heck does that have to do with anything else? Usually they're dysfunctional in every other aspect of their lives if they came from Hollywood. Usually. Why do we look at them and go, you know, I never thought about that. If we give, if we give honor to people at our table... It's not a far stretch to give them honor in other aspects of our lives. That's the danger. Give them entree here, it's a lateral move here. What's James saying? Don't even give them entree. Call them out for what they are. Infidels? Reprobate? Uh, apostate? Uh, haters? 
of Christ? Disrespectful people of God? Think because they have a lot of money that that somehow uh, relieves them of God's viewpoint of them? These are the same people who curse your God. Who blaspheme God the Holy Spirit. What are we doing raising them up in any way? Why do we even talk about them with any reverence whatsoever? So let me give you this evening's first key principle up here on the board. The world's take on religion. Never, ever receive wisdom from the world as anything other than what it truly is, human and earthly. Someone might give you wisdom. Hey, listen, dude, if you invest in this stock, you're going to lose your money. And he might be a financial advisor who hates Jesus Christ, but they have worldly wisdom. Okay, you're good at financial advising. I'll trust you. Just call it what it is, though. That's as far as it goes. Never, ever receive wisdom from the world as anything other than what it truly is, human and earthly. Even the most well-intentioned unbeliever has nothing, nothing to add to what is available to you in the Word of God, especially on the topic of true faith and religion. And this is how we... Uh, we were talking about this on Sunday, how the world tries to impose its viewpoint of Christianity on us. Let me tell you what Christianity is. I've argued with unbelievers that try to tell me why I'm being a bad Christian by confronting them. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Well, it's not Christian-like to be intolerant. I'm like, wait a minute, you're going to tell me about my faith? You're an unbeliever? You're going to start telling me about my faith? No. How's this work? You want me to accept that as wisdom? <laughs> this is what you think? This is how arrogant you are? You think I'm actually going to accept your viewpoint of my faith? Something you have no idea about? Obviously. And you know what? We do. I don't. Typically nowadays. Maybe in the past I was more apt to lose my bearings a little bit. But we do it. We start listening. Even the most well-intentioned unbeliever has nothing to add to what is available to you in the Word of God, especially on the topic of true faith and religion. So don't accept it, ever. Paul wrote about this threat. Go to Colossians 2, verse 18. Colossians 2, 18. Plus, there's always a... Um, a context and view here that's Colossians 2 is no different but I hope you get the principles the era changes the you know the specifics might change but we can glean an awful lot from this passage Colossians 2:18 let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement you know the do-gooders that type of thing the religious do-gooders people that are on a treadmill let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. See, it's a corrupt mind. Bad data. Inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head. That's Christ, of course. From whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, 
grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees, such as, quote, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Our application today in context of this message is human religion. Why submit yourself to human religion? Which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance, you ready? In accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Why are you bound up in religion imposed upon you by mere men? You find true religion is from the Word of God. That's where you find the precepts. You don't get them from or in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. It's in accordance with the Word, the teachings of Christ. These are matters, verse 23, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, asceticism, this kind of a thing, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. In other words, they don't help you at all. All they're doing, if you follow that religion, is feeding the flesh. The same thing they, they say they're crucifying, but you're actually feeding it because it's false. Why would you ever listen to people like that? That's all, you know, mo a lot of cr contemporary Christianity is false religion anyways. A bunch of people trying to either do good or they, they go in the other direction, complete, uh, like antinomianism, where there's like, there's no law whatsoever. It's all, you know, it's all grace. I can do whatever I want. There's no nothing. God doesn't have any demands on me. I'm just loosed by grace. Um, you can go on, there's all these perversions. Why would you ever take that as gold? Why would you buy that from the world? Again, the principles on the board. The world's take on religion never, ever receive wisdom from the world as anything other than what it truly is, human and earthly. Even the most well-intentioned unbeliever has nothing to add to what is available to you in the Word of God, especially on the topic of true faith and religion. On Tuesday, we read another cautionary word from Paul on the temptation to listen to worldly religious doctrines, a.k.a. the doctrines of demons. Go to Galatians 1.6. Galatians 1.6, I'll read this quickly. <clears throat> Remember uh, Galatians, a lot of... Uh, the congregation that Paul is writing to was being attacked by Judaizers. You know, it's, it's um, not faith alone. It's faith plus works. Works salvation, if you would, as well. Galatians 1.6 I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Yeah, that's important that you see that. There are different Gospels out there. Just because someone says it's the Gospel of Jesus Christ does not mean that what they're, what's coming out of their mouth after is actually the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Just because a church has a, uh, a cross on the, on, the, on the building doesn't mean it represents Jesus Christ. It's about the Word of God. It's about the Word of truth. 
That's what represents Jesus Christ. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Very strong, damning uh, statement there, accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For I am now seeking the favor of men or of God. Or am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Skip to verse 15. Verse 15. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So what we've all seen in red in the Old Testament and the New Testament is the following up here on the board. On the topic of supernatural abilities, God sovereignly decides who possesses the supernatural faculties of seeing and hearing spiritual phenomena. This means that no man is able to receive true wisdom without God's help. Again, God sovereignly decides who possesses the supernatural, supernatural faculties of seeing and hearing spiritual phenomenon. This means that no man is able to receive true wisdom without God's help. Therefore, since there's a lot of us on this earth, we must be careful who we listen to and how we listen. Why in the world, again, to our uh, immediate point, why in the world would we listen to an unbeliever? Why in the world would we do that? They don't even have the spiritual apparatus to understand spiritual things. Why, would, why in the world would we ever listen to them? As the recent blog titled, Be Like a Wise Birdie, stated, don't fall for the trap. And just reflecting on that, if you think we are immune to such things, you are terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. Um, as a side note, I was listening to a bunch of pastors recently talk about the plague, or a plague, but a specific plague of a greater plague, if you would, that has beset contemporary Christianity. Music ministries. Music ministries, particularly in churches, but not limited to churches only. Music ministries, they've become a curse. One of the great infiltrations in modern Christianity is the introduction of overblown 
music ministries. We have to say, well, what do you mean? What I mean to say is that if we're going to have any kind of music ministry in a church or outside the church, it has to be in accordance with the Word of God. It has to be in accordance with the Word of God. One of the guys I remember, this isn't in my notes, but one of the guys I, I can hear him speaking now, a lot of songs nowadays, Christian songs, are basically the same verse over and over and over again. And Jesus Christ himself said, don't do that. <laughs> don't pray that way. Don't worship that way. That's folly. That's ridiculousness. Do not do that thing. But so many Christian, popular Christian songs, there's this one line or the chorus is just over and over and over and over again. That's not in the Bible. But you see, it's like a, um, a chant. Do you know what I'm getting at? You ever see someone that, that, that almost becomes entranced? You ever see uh, the awfulness of certain cults? The, the way they get sort of spun up in emotionalism? It's a chant, right? Chanting, the same thing over and over, spins people up. That's Christian music nowadays. What's the Word of God say, honestly, about singing up here on the board, about music ministries? Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in Psalms, you know there's a whole book of them in the Bible, in hymns and spiritual songs, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and making melody with your heart to the Lord. That sounds... Um, an awful lot like a personal investment, doesn't it? I don't see anything about chanting. As a matter of fact, I just gave you some wisdom from Jesus Christ himself, so do not repeat yourself that way, like some do. That's not worship. Uh, this is how we worship in song. This is what the Bible has to say about it. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. One pastor made a really good point that I thought I'd share with you. And that was that while the Bible says we ought to be singing, most Christians nowadays prefer to be sung to. The Bible says we ought to be singing as unto the Lord, right? We just read that. But most Christians nowadays want to be sung to. They're perfectly happy just sitting there passively. Think about mainstream churches with large music ministries. If you were to shut off all the speakers what you'd likely find is a bunch of people simply being entertained. None of them are actually singing. Imagine that. None of them are actually singing. Is that with or without, or with or not in accordance with Holy Writ? Up here on the board. Worship. 
worshiping the Lord in any fashion is not supposed to be a passive exercise. The Bible speaks about music as a form of active worship, not entertainment. Not entertainment. Worshiping the Lord in any fashion is not supposed to be a passive exercise. The Bible speaks about music as a form of active worship, not entertainment. I've actually heard people say firsthand and asked me before coming to this church as an instance of this firsthand understanding and hearing. I've actually heard people say firsthand and asked me before coming to this church about what's the size of the music ministry there? For, for real? Did you just ask me that? For real? That's, that's, part, of the, that's part of the reason you want... <laughs> you're going you're gonna to choose to come to church? Is, is the music ministry um, all that? Am I going to be entertained, in other words? As if to say, you know, in a passive way, quote, I can put up with poor Bible teaching if the music ministry fulfills my emotional needs. Sounds awful, doesn't it? Uh, and these are other pastors, by the way, not just Pastor Ed. These are, this was a multitude of pastors. Sean can attest, he was watching the, the video with me. And these are not young guys either, you know, like idiots. These are, were some were older gentlemen, much older gentlemen, with a lot of wisdom. And their hearts are broken. One of the other pastors I heard the other day said this, up here on the board, this really struck a nerve. Pastor Jeff Paul, and many Christians are not worshiping God, they are worshiping how they feel about God. That is exceptionally astute. Many Christians are not worshiping God. They are worshiping how they feel about God. Now, there's a difference there. And if you don't get it right now, please think about it because it's huge. Massive. It's one of the reasons why people want to be entertained by a music ministry. Because they just want to they want to worship how they feel about God. See, I told you. How they feel about God. It's not about worshiping the sovereign, holy God of the universe. It's not about that. It's about worshiping how they feel about God. There's a big difference there. One, so this is an astute point, and it's something that some of you hearing my voice need to dwell on, like, for real. Do you worship God, or do you worship how you feel about God? True Christianity is about a relationship with the sovereign, holy God of the universe through Jesus Christ. We have the supernatural privilege. We have the privilege to worship and serve Him. 
In other words, if you have the ability to sing as unto the Lord, then sing as unto the Lord. Because that's what worship looks like. That's what the Bible says we ought to be doing when we're singing. We have the privilege of worshiping and serving Him. That's very different than worshiping and serving our feelings about Him. The prior reveals a love for God. The latter reveals a love for oneself. The point on the board, many Christians are not worshiping God. They are worshiping how they feel about God. The prior reveals a love for God. The latter reveals a love for oneself. And yet, is it fair to say that the majority of contemporary Christianity worships and celebrates their feelings? I say yes. I say that's half the problem. You see, so perverted music ministries are just merely symptoms. You see what's going on? Everything goes back to the deceitfulness of sin and therefore the depravity of man. Man is always wanting to celebrate himself one way or another, but not God. I'd rather worship my feelings than him. Even though those said feelings are for him. The majority of contemporary Christianity worships and celebrates their feelings. And I hope you see the distinction here. The issue here, if we're deceived by this, is that if feelings become our God, if feelings become our little G God, some of you can relate to this. I, I know some of you, so I know some of you can relate to this. It's not about God, it's about how you feel. It's why, which is why you often have a very tumultuous relationship with him, because you're a selfish lover. Again, the issue, if you're deceived by this, is that if feelings become our God, we live to serve them instead of our Lord. If feelings become our God, we live to serve them instead of our Lord. I want to go to church, and I want that music ministry to make me feel good. I want to worship my feelings. You see the difference? If feelings become our God, we live to serve them instead of our Lord. We call this emotionalism. And it's rampant, rampant in contemporary Christianity. Rampant. That's why I pick on certain radio stations, because that's what I hear when I listen to certain radio stations, Christian radio stations. It's just a bunch of people serving their emotions. I'm not saying there's not good songs on, the, on Christian radio, so don't get all huffy. What I'm saying is, if feelings become your God, you live to serve them instead of our Lord. 
So if you find yourself in your car, you know, la, 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 la. I don't think that's very inspiring, is it? I don't know. You pick the song with the, you know, the mantra, the Christian song just sings the same verse for like seven to ten minutes straight and there's this huge chorus and then there's like a crescendo, oh my God! And the guy's on a guitar and the bass is like 17 bass drum, bass players because, you know, what that does like, and he was like, oh, and then, and you got some person who's making, you know, hundred, $200,000 a year singing as unto the Lord and her voice is angelic. You know, and you're like, oh, and you're like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. You start dialing your friend, oh my God, I'm on it's on, I can't listen to I know I'm listening to it too. What's this about? Is this about God? This is about your feelings. Who are we, who, who are we serving? Seriously, who are we serving? That's a, that's a fair question. I didn't even pose it. I'm sharing what happened in my own soul when I listened to like 10 other pastors, senior to me, point out music ministry and what's going on in Christianity. It's emotionalism, and it's rampant. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that it's sold Emotionalism is sold at many churches, especially the mega churches. Go to 2 Corinthians 2.17. You want a big church? I get emails daily. Hey, you want to increase the number of people coming to your church? Do this. No thanks, dude. I'm not a sellout. I'm not going to sell out. Trust me. Spent 20 years in marketing and sales. I know how to fill seats. I know exactly what I would have to do to appeal to the human flesh. It wouldn't take very long at all. Probably have to put my, <laughs> I'd probably have to put my pulpit over in the corner, though, because this part would be reserved for the band. But look at the bright side. We could finally buy our, our elevator and move everything upstairs into the cathedral. And then how good would it sound up there? Huh? All right, what do you say we do it? To hell with truth. Let's just throw it all away. To hell with truth. I mean, what is it, you know? I mean, we talk about Jesus. Who's getting hurt? Everybody feels good. Look around. Everybody feels good. What's the harm? Isn't that what this peddled? Yeah. Guys are lucky. Second Corinthians 2.17. If we are not like many... Peddling the word of God, 2 Corinthians 2.17. We are not like many, peddling the word of God. That's just gross. Peddling it. Like, like, you know, like selling, peddling it. Like a common salesperson. We are not like many people peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. So this got me thinking, as it will, I'm sure, some of you this weekend. Look around. Not here. Maybe here, but not really. Definitely not here on this next note. But take into account your so-called Christian family and friends. Christianity is big business. 
Not little business. Big business. Like on the order of like third world country uh, GNP business. That size. That's how big religion is. Huge business. And whenever the base lust of the flesh is piqued by financial opportunity, regardless of the vileness of it, mankind will jump on it. So I did a little research up here on the board. Religion is big business. Here's the principle. The kingdom of darkness promotes the whole scheme by selling religious formulas, such as do this religion and be rewarded with happiness. Do this thing. Come to church on Sunday. Let us entertain you. And you can keep your feelings as your little God. We can wrap it all up in words about Christ and God. But this is about you not surrendering yourself. But you can keep your feelings, your emotionalism, as your little God. And we will pump it up. Just come, huh? Our music ministry is going to be having you going like this. You're going to feel so good by the time you leave. <laughs> Do this religion and be rewarded with happiness. You might even make lots of money. I told you I did a little um, research. <clears throat> this is in uh, America alone, the United States alone, 2016. This is how big of a business religion is. $1.2 trillion. Slightly less than our budget here. $1.2 trillion. Can you even put that in perspective? That's on the order of our national debt. And we're like ridiculous with that. We're in that scope. We're on that line. Do you understand? That order of things. $1.2 trillion. $418 billion from religious congregations. $303 billion from other religious institutions such as universities, charities, and health systems. And I'm not proposing that all this stuff is bad. I'm just saying it's big business. And $437 billion from, you know, faith-based, faith-related, or faith-inspired businesses, like music. You don't think there's, you don't think there's a, um, a few cast-offs from rock and roll that have found their notes in Christian music? You don't think there's a few cast-offs in there that really, you don't think, just like this, you don't think there's a few cast-offs standing behind pulpits, morons that couldn't make it in the world? Who say, well, I'll just become a pastor then. I'll go to some seminary that's overcharging me, that's unholy, that's part of this $1.2 trillion equation. I'll just pay them a bunch of money and then some moronic, some moronic denomination or some failing church will hire me on for you know something that I can keep afloat with. That doesn't sound honest or good or anything. What about that sounds good? But when you have that much money on the table, there's a lot of parasites, you understand? And when there's a lot of money to be made, when a lot of money is exchanging hands, some weird stuff goes down. And Christianity is not immune to it. And if I can fill seats and make a lot of money, ask my congregation to buy me a Learjet, 
maybe. And I have no uh, scruples whatsoever, then I'm going to do it because that's the depravity of man. <laughs> and some of us have the audacity to listen to these morons, to let them impose on us, to have doubt, to raise doubt in our own soul. Well, maybe I'm not, um, maybe I'm not doing the religion thing right because I'm not so happy right now. I haven't been happy in a while. Granted, I have a lot of joy and a lot of peace and a lot of contentment, but I'm not like smiling like these people. These people come back from church and they're like in a trance. They're all like, you should have been at our church today. We had the gayest time. Some of them actually celebrate gays too, by the way. I mean, why am I not like them? Why am I not smiling all the time? Why, why am I not emotionally high coming out of church like these people who go to church where there's just song after song after song? They say, we just, you know, we celebrate Christ here. Well, what does the Bible say about your so-called celebration? Why is it, from the band's perspective, everybody's just sitting there going like this? Because they just want to be entertained. They want their ears tickled. Sound familiar? Big business. What this all translates into is an unholy economy. An unholy economy, which means there's a lot of parts that move. The Bible cautions us over and over to not buy into the world economy. Christ's own words to the church at Laodicea, a church not unlike American churches today. I'll give you the message translation for variety's sake up here on the board. Revelation 3.18. Here's what I want you to do. Buy your gold from me. Gold that's been through the refiner's fire. Then you'll be rich. Buy your clothes from me. Clothes designed in heaven. You've gone around half naked long enough. And buy medicine for your eyes from me so you can see. Really see. Really see. Conclusion? We are to avoid participating in the world's economy, a part of which includes false religion and so-called spirituality. The world and its God, the devil, are brash, without boundaries, void of scruples. Let me give you some more perspective on this idea of religion being a big business for Satan, for Satan, Christianity is nothing more than a lever, a tool that once perverted can be used to advance the causes of Satan in the kingdom of darkness. I'm not talking about pure religion. I'm not talking about unadulterated religion. I'm not talking about the religion in the Word of God. I'm talking about perverted Christianity. Because it comes with an entree, doesn't it? If someone says, hey, I'm a Christian too, you give them a little bit more wiggle room in your life, don't you? You give them a little more space. 
Satan's not stupid. Maybe they're the ones you bring in and honor at the table. Because they got the what? I don't know. The, the holy t-shirt on? The John 3.16? And a, you know, a, a rope chain gold cross necklace? Oh no, better yet. I got a tattoo of the cross on my back. From shoulder to shoulder. Oh man, you're like holy. You go sit over there. You go sit in my seat. You're definitely special because if you got tattoos of crosses, you have to be believed. That is one heck of a profession. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Let's go listen to some music. Am I carrying on? I look like an idiot because the world makes me look like an idiot. The fact that I have to repeat this makes me look like a fool. That's why I get angry. Christianity is nothing more than a lever, a tool that once perverted can be used to advance the causes of Satan and the kingdom of darkness. Big business. So what does this translate into for us? It means what Holy Scripture plainly tells us. Go to Ephesians 6.10. So what are we supposed to do? Christianity is big business. There's a lot of people with their fingers in the pie. A lot of people that could care less about Jesus Christ. A lot of businessmen. I know guys that go to churches. They specifically go to large churches and women to sell something. To create a network of future clients. And then they go to another big church. And then they go to another church. And they go to all the local churches. Sounds like a great idea if you're, I don't know, a real estate agent. A... Uh, Insurance, I'm picking on anybody. I'm not thinking of anybody specific. An insurance agent, a contractor, salesperson, you pick it. A lot of reasons why if you're a smart business person, you do business development, I don't know, in a church of 2,000 people, will give you first pick because you say, I'm a Christian too. And Scripture says I'm supposed to take care of you before I take care of anybody else. And we're supposed to stick together, right? You're right! Now give me a business. Big, big business. You don't think that goes on? I've had a few of those people come through this church. They come, they make their little acquaintances, and then they leave. They don't last very long. Not under this shepherd. They usually get run out. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of of the devil. That's right. He's a scheming, conniving little devil. Against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So, this is why it is critically important that you continue to read your Bible. This is why it is critically important that you continue to read your Bible. You must be equipped with faith so that you can put on the full armor of God and stand up against the schemes of the devil. One of them, of course, is to impose religion on you and say, well, you're a Christian. Why are you not acting this way? You're a Christian. Why are you not smiling all the time? You're a Christian. 
there must be something wrong with you because you know my other christian friends over here they have all these things they have money they're happy all the time they go to church and they listen to music they're part of a rock band a christian rock band they do all this kind of stuff they're making business acquaintances at their church oh it's like it's like this big community of 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 blessedness where's that in the bible Seriously, where's that in the Bible? I don't know. Read your Bible. Huh? See how I did that? Read your Bible. You want to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil? You've got to have faith. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Sin will lie to us. It will tell us that what I'm teaching you right now isn't true. That wisdom, peace, happiness, and freedom can be earned through religiosity, good feelings, but not true worship. Not true worship. As long as it, you know, feels good or feels right, it may be construed as such. Let me say that again. As long as it feels good or feels right, it may be construed as such. It may not be good or right, but it feels good and it feels right. One of the pastors, none of this show, one of the pastors was saying, it's like giving a bowl of, of uh, Captain Crunch to a kid. They're going to eat it, right? And they're like, this is so good, but it's killing them. They don't survive on Cap'n Crunch. Their teeth fall out. It's not good or right. And I'm not saying some of you are like, man, I have Cap'n Crunch in my... But get the point, right? You get the point, right? Sheep are so stupid. If you put Cap'n Crunch in front of a fleshly kid versus, uh, oh, I don't know, a poached egg, which one are they going to eat every time? They're going to go for the one that's actually not good for them. Sounds like us. If a church puts up, a, if someone puts a church up next door, and they've got Captain Crunch, large music ministry, you know, uh, a guy, a pastor with hair, right? It's like more charismatic and less ornery, let's say, whatever. You know what I'm saying? And they get all the right things, and they got, you know, oh my God, this I got to share the story. You guys remember Paul Washer? You met another guy? He's one of my favorite guys because he's just so honest. He said, okay, I went to a church one time, and he said, everybody in the church was beautiful. He goes, I went back to my deacons later. He goes, hey, what's the deal? He goes, all the beautiful people are in this church. He goes, my congregation is ugly. <laughs> he's like, what's going on? Right? And he was picking on one of those churches. If you want to see a lot of attractive people in Christian faith, go to a big church. I'm not saying you aren't beautiful. I'll be getting emails. What do you mean? I'm not beautiful? I'm not saying that, but that's why I pinned it on Paul Washer, who's not here to defend himself. Right? Like, if you want to see the beautiful people in this world, they don't go to churches like this. Because my job is to tear them down to a, a, a nub. 
not for personal gain. That's what Christ wants. He don't want any of that garbage up in here, up in his house. You can leave that over to the, to the morons cheering for the rock band who never sing, who never worship properly, who don't really want a pastor who's actually going to, you know, shepherd them. They only want somebody that's going to feed them Captain Crunch. They're like the bad uncle, right? You don't get that? They're like the bad uncle who gives, you know, uh, uh, daddy's great chocolate cake. Remember that? Or uh, remember Uncle Buck with the, with the flapjack? Remember that? It was like this big. Bad uncle. That's them. Of course, the, of course people in their weakness are going to opt for Captain Crunch religion. And you know what? Captain Crunch, they sell a lot of boxes of cereal. It's actually more financially, um, what's the right word, prosperous? to sell that kind of a gospel message than this one. Sin will lie to us. It will tell us that what I'm teaching you right now isn't true, that wisdom, peace, happiness, and freedom can be earned through religiosity, good feelings, but not true worship. As long as it feels good or feels right, it may be construed as such. You see, and I'm almost out of time, sin appeals to the natural senses to emotions void of mindfulness, lacking good data. Again, it appeals to the natural senses. It appeals to emotions void of mindfulness. Nothing wrong with having good emotions. Some of you laughed just about a minute ago. That's an emotion. Nothing wrong with that. But you were laughing because of what you know to be true in the Word of God. You're laughing as a release when you look at the depravity of man, including in yourself. Sometimes what else can you do? It's not funny, but you know what I'm saying. It's your only release. It's like, oh, this is ridiculous. But that's how sin appeals to us. Up here on the board, 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his scheme. That's a very good place to be for all of you. We are not ignorant of his schemes. But that implies one thing, doesn't it? You want to understand faith? Faith comes through what? Hearing. Hearing the word of Christ. Romans 10, 17. We just read that, right? That means you've got to have this right here. If you want to understand how your enemy, Sensu, right? Know your enemy. If you want to understand how your enemy operates, you have to read this Bible. This is what matters. So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, but we are not ignorant of his schemes. You will never, and I'll close with this, you will never be able to do that if, you are, if your feelings are your God. If you choose a church based on how you feel about the church, not on the truth that's being taught, how good it makes you feel, you will never be able to do this. You will be dragged further away in chains and shackles. You won't be able to do it. Why? Because you've, you've traded in truth that sets you free for something else that walks you right back into bondage. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads.
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for illuminating this scripture for us this evening. Thank you for making all these and connecting all the dots for us, Father, in our own lives in a very practical way. Thank you for encouraging us. Thank you for giving us peace and contentment, Father, in a world that lacks it uh, implicitly. Father, we just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.